right, good morning. By the way, if there's anybody under the age of 40 that can tell me what music that is to that thing after the service, I'll be impressed with you, all right? Because that's a real song, and it's from like 1985, and it's, uh, it's awesome. So anyway, hey, um, glad y'all are all here this morning. Before we jump into what we're going to talk about, let me just say, I know that we've, if you've got kids, how many of you have kids that are in our Freedom Kids program? That means they're, you know, first grade through sixth grade. Um, or fifth grade, excuse me, first grade through fifth grade, they um, normally this week, they are in here with all of you. The first week of the month, they're normally, this is when everybody worships together, but we've switched that up for Christmas because the Sunday before Christmas, which I think is maybe the 20th or something like that, um, we're going to do Lord's Supper and, and all that kind of stuff, and we thought that would be a better time for families to be together. So we've switched that up. But while since we've kind of switched it up, let me just kind of give a disclaimer that I've been meaning to do for a couple months. I know some of you, you're like, oh, my kids don't like to go back there. They want to stay out here and all that kind of stuff, and, and uh, they want to be out here every week. You need to understand that when I'm preparing the message, I, I, I make sure that on the first Sunday of the month when I know the kids are going to be in there, I make sure that I'm on my best behavior as far as what I'm talking about. And there's things, and I might even refer to some things, but I will say them in a different way because I know little ears are in here. But every other week, all bets are off, all right? So I might talk about things like, uh, well, I, I'll just say, I hope no little kids are in here now, but you know, I might say pornography or something like that. And then you're going to have to answer that question on the way home when your kids are saying, what is pornography, you know, or whatever. So just, I'm, just, I'm just telling you that disclaimer today so that you'll know Bring them in here, that's fine with me if that's what they want to do, but, but it's a better environment for them back there because it's stuff that they can understand on their level. But I make sure on the first Sunday, in fact, I'll even ask Sherry, I'll say, hey, is it okay for me to say this with these little kids in there? And sometimes she'll say, no, it's not. Because I don't, I don't all at the time have that filter like I'm supposed to. So, uh, but just, just know that, that if you choose for your kids to be in here on days that they're normally not supposed to be in here, you might have to answer some questions about something the pastor said on stage, all right? Um, when I was in uh, high school, we did summer camp every year at the church that I grew up in, and, and we would, um, we'd go to different places. And the summer after my senior year, we went to Look Up Lodge, just right up here, up, up, uh, up, up Highway 11, and that was before I ever knew there was a Greer, South Carolina. And uh, we rode right past it, I guess, on the way to Look Up Lodge, and and, uh, and we were there, and we were having a great time, and, and there were two guys that were my age. They were both just graduated from high school, and, and uh, they, they were ultra, ultra competitive. I mean, these guys, and so all week long during the recreation time and stuff, they'd almost get in fist fights over some stupid relay we were playing of, of whether somebody cheated or who won, and they were just big-time competitive and all that stuff. And so the, uh, the counselors of camp that week, they got this idea. They said, we need to play a joke on these guys. And so they came up with this cool idea. They said that what we're going to do is one night before worship when we're doing all these funny skits and all that kind of stuff, we're going to blindfold both of these guys and tell them they're going to be in a blindfolded pillow fight against each other. But what they did was, when they got them blindfolded, they turned them away from one another, so they had no chance they could hit each other. And then there were five or six other guys on stage with pillows. And the idea was, they'd be swinging, and they know they're not hitting anything, but they're keep, they're, they keep getting hit, right? By and so they're thinking they're losing, 
Both of them are thinking, and it's going to make it even more competitive, all this kind of stuff. Well, it, it really kind of degenerated very quickly once they started because these two guys were so crazy when, when, they, when they put those blindfolds on and told them to start. They started swinging so hard, people couldn't get near them to even hit them because it was so crazy. In fact, one guy got hit upside the head and almost knocked him out. He was one of the guys that was supposed to be hitting him. The, one of the guys fell off the stage. It was about this high. He's blindfolded. He falls off the stage on his back, and so we're thinking he's hurt. He jumps back up, starts crawling back. I mean, it was just crazy. And what made that thing so awesome, and what made it so, I mean, I, I can remember this day. I, I laughed so hard I thought I was going to get sick. And, uh, but what made that so awesome is that they had been tricked, and they'd been blindfolded, and they'd been led to believe one thing, and then what made it even better than that is not only they'd been tricked and led to believe something that wasn't true, but they bought in wholeheartedly. I mean, they, they, were, they were completely committed to just beating the daylights out of that other guy blindfolded, and they didn't care what it took, even if it falling off the stage. Well, today I want us to talk about the fact that there are some things when it comes to Christmas that we've bought into. There are some things we've bought into wholeheartedly, and, in, and in really we've kind of been deceived. We've been tricked. And, and I, what I want us to talk about today, we're going to talk about two uh, uh, parts of the actual event of Jesus being born, just things that we've, not, not necessarily we've been misled, but maybe some things we've assumed for years that aren't really in the scripture. But then I want us to talk even more and, and, and focus more on the fact that there are two kind of uh, ways we live when it comes to Christmas and two ways that, that, uh, that we tend to, uh, day, year after year, we celebrate Christmas in these certain ways and it takes away from what it really means. And, and I got this idea when I was watching uh, the movie Elf and so those of you who are hoping to see another clip, you're going to get to see another clip about Buddy the Elf pulling the beard off of, of some deception in, in, in when it comes to Christmas. So check this out. Who the heck are you? What are you talking about? I'm Santa Claus. No, you're not. Uh, why, of course I am. <laughs> you're Santa. What song did I sing for you on your birthday this year? Uh, happy birthday, of course. <laughs> uh, so, uh, how old are you, son? Four. You're a big boy. What's your name? And uh, what can I Paul, get you for Christmas? Don't tell him what you want. He's a liar. Let the kid talk. You disgust me. How can you live with yourself? Just cool it, Zippy. You sit on a throne of lies. Look, I'm not kidding. You're a fake. I'm a fake? Yes. How'd you like to be dead? Huh? No, he's kidding. You stink. I think you're going to have a good Christmas, all right? You smell like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa. Okay. <gasps> <gasps> he's a <laughs> I love that part. So Buddy is pulling the beard off of the fake Santa. He's pulling the beard, he's, he's, he's trying to reveal the deception that's going on. And so today I want us to look at two different things. I want you to start off by looking at, with me at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to read a couple verses there, and then we're going to talk about some ways that, some things we've assumed that are true about Christmas, but but are not true. Luke 2, beginning with verse 4. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David, 
He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. When I was a kid, I would see, we'd watch, actually it wasn't videos back then, it was actual real TV shows. You had to watch things when they came on TV. I don't know if you remember those days. But uh, we would watch TV shows and they would have these you know, specials about the, the manger and the nativity and those kinds of things. And, and uh, we would see films at, at, at a church they would show us, and we had little picture books, story books, and those kinds of things. And it was one of those things where, to me, looking at it as a kid, it all seemed very cozy. You remember those pictures or those films, and it was everything was just bathed in this soft light. No one was shivering from the cold, and there's the baby Jesus. He looks so comfortable there in the manger, and Mary is just resting comfortably after having given birth in a barn. And, and it was just seemed so nice and tidy and cozy. And as, and, and as I looked at that as a kid, I really thought, well, that'd be a cool place to hang out and spend the night or whatever. But here's the first reality of Christmas that, that we've been kind of deceived about over the years. And the first reality is this. Jesus was born in a barn. Jesus was born in a barn. So later on, when Mary said to him, why did you leave that door open? Were you born in a barn? He could say, why, yes, mother, I was. You were there, remember? Yeah. I, I'm sure Mary probably never said that. But, uh, or, but hey, kids, if you're in here, even if you're not supposed to be, if your mom ever says to you, was Jesus, you know, says to you, were you born in a barn? Say, hey, if it was good enough for Jesus, it must be good enough for me. No, don't say that. That'll get you in trouble. But Jesus was born in a barn, and, and it wasn't cozy. And I know some of you know, I know some people, and some of you know some folks that, that have barns, they call them barns, and they've got heating and air conditioning, and they've got nice floors, and you could eat off the floor in there, and they've got beds and stuff in there, and yeah, we hang out at the barn on the weekends and all that kind of stuff. Now, that's not what kind of barn this was. The barn that Jesus was born in was a working barn that housed animals. And because it housed animals, it smelled like you know what it smelled like, right? Because you know what animals do in a barn. It stunk. It was unsanitary because animals were doing that in this barn. It was not a place you would want to have a baby. And so this idea sometimes that we have of, oh, it was this cozy place and everybody was warm. If it was cold outside that night, and we don't really know if it was, but if it was cold outside that night, it was cold inside the barn. Because, and if it was raining outside, it was raining inside the barn. It wasn't a nice roof that kept water out and all those kinds of things. The animals were not, probably not really well behaved. If they were used to making noise at night, they made noise at night. And even though the second verse of Away in a Manger says that the cattle are lowing and the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus no crying he makes, that's not true. Jesus was a baby. If he woke up in the middle of the night because a cow woke him up, he was going to cry, right? So Jesus was born in a barn, and he was a real baby, and it was a difficult first night to, to spend of your life and a difficult place to give birth. I, I keep thinking about the fact that, that when, we give, when ladies today give birth, and, and it's, it's a, just a difficult thing still today, but today they go into these nice places, and I don't know if you've been to a birthing room at like St. Francis Women's or some of these hospitals, you don't even go in a sterile-looking environment anymore. You have it right there in the room, and, and you know, you can have the TV on, watching TV while you're having a baby, and, and, it's just, and it's this nice, cozy atmosphere. This was nothing like that when Jesus was born. 
He was born in a barn, and Mary got finished having the baby. She had no bed to lay down on. Joseph had to make her a bed out of hay. And I remember as a kid thinking, hey, I could sleep on hay. That might be pretty cool. Have you ever laid down on hay? Anybody ever messed around with any hay? You don't want to sleep on hay. It sticks you, and it's terrible, and it's got chiggers in it. When we put our yard in at our house, I spread all kind of bales of hay, and I had a line of, of chiggers right here where I was holding the bale of hay and right on my wrist, and I itched for three weeks, waking up in the middle of the night. And so imagine that, laying in hay. And then keep this in mind, too, and here's one thing we never think about. They could have been staying in this barn illegally. And I know you're saying, no, whoa, whoa, Cliff. That's not true. I've seen the films. They go, they knock on the door. The innkeeper opens the door. He's really gruff. And he says, I don't have anywhere to stay. Then he sees Mary and he feels sorry for her. And he says, well, you can stay in my barn out back. There's one problem with that. It's not in the Bible. You cannot find the innkeeper in the Bible. It never mentions an innkeeper in the Bible. Now, it says there was no room for them in the inn. And we've assumed, and it could be true, Joseph could have gone to the, to the innkeeper and he could have said, hey, I tell you what, I got this barn out back. But you know what else could have happened? The innkeeper could have said, we don't have anything, and closed the door. And Joseph, being a resourceful guy that he is, said, I'm going to go find a barn for us to stay in because my, my wife's about to have a baby. And so imagine if they were staying there illegally. All night long, Joseph is wondering if somebody's going to come in here and kick us out. My wife's weak from just having a baby. We got this baby here. These animals, you know, they're not even mine. Somebody might try to think I'm trying to steal them or whatever. And so this whole idea that we have about everything being this little cozy place and everything being so neat and tidy is not really the way that it was at all. But I think that it's important for us to understand the reality of it. I think that it's important for us not to make it cozy and not to figure out and, and try to convince ourselves that, well, it was really a nice place to be and Mary was warm and, and Jesus was, it was, you know, it was a clean place. Because I think if we can understand the reality that God, when he chose to come to earth in the form of a man, now think about this, God made the earth. God is king over the earth. Where would he deserve to be born? Certainly not in a barn, but that's where he chose to be. You see, it's no coincidence that the inn was full. It's not like God had reservations at the inn and somebody bumped them because Joseph arrived late. That was where it was, that's where Jesus was supposed to be born. And so when he's born there, it sends us a message about how far God would go to reach out to us, how far he would come. Not only would he leave heaven and come to earth, he would leave heaven and come to the dirty parts of the earth. He would leave heaven and come to the uncomfortable parts of the earth so that he could be with us and he could be like one of us and experience everything that a human experiences as he took on human form when he came to earth. And so that kind of leads me to this first lie of Christmas that we get, that we get fooled into believing. Because... Jesus came humbly, and there was nothing there, nothing that would make you excited, nothing that would make you want to make reservations and stay at that place. And yet we believe, and we have been led to believe, that more stuff leads to a better Christmas, that more stuff equals a better Christmas. Now, if I were to ask you this morning, and just, you know, me and you one-on-one talking, if I said, hey, do you think that your kids should get everything they want for Christmas? I'll, probably 100% of you say, no way, there's no way 
my kids should get everything they want for Christmas. And I believe that too, and I say that. But then a lot of times when it comes to how we live, and when it comes to how much we spend and how much we do, we live very differently than what we say we believe. And I'm not just talking about I know toys and, and what we buy is kind of the, the main thing we think about, about that, but it's not just gifts. Think about this. What does your calendar look like at Christmas time every year? Have you ever gotten done with the month of December and said, I don't want to do anything with anybody for three months because I am worn out from going to a party every night of the week or a drop-in or hosting this in my house and that kind of stuff. And I love all those things. Those kinds of things are good. But I think sometimes we fooled ourselves into believing Christmas isn't good unless you're busy every night of the month. Until from December 1st to December 24th, you've got something going on every single day. It's just not that good unless, unless that's the way it is. And so what we've kind of done is, what, we, what we've fallen into, is we've fallen into this belief that, okay, Jesus came humbly, and he came into the world poor, and he came into the world just the way a king should never be treated. And we're going to celebrate that with all this excess, and I'm going to eat so much that I can't hardly even stand up when I'm done, and I'm going to spend every moment of the, of the month doing something, and I'm going to go into big-time debt and spend thousands of dollars buying gifts for people, and I'm going to desire to get all these kinds of gifts, and all of a sudden, we've taken this, this celebration of a humble beginning, and we've made it extremely, extremely excessive. I'm reminded of the book of 1 Timothy 6, Verses 6 and 7. Look at these on the screen. This should be our attitude, not just at Christmas, but all the time. When, Timothy, when Paul wrote this to Timothy, he said, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Buying gifts for your kids is a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But I think we need to teach our kids, and we need to learn ourselves to be content that we're not always searching and dreaming for the next new car, that we're not always searching and dreaming for the addition we're going to put on the house, that we're not always searching and dreaming for the next piece of technology or whatever it might be that's just going to make our lives so much better. If we can learn to be content, if we can learn to be content with what God has given us, according to what the Scripture says, that that is great gain. We will find out that as we do that, that, that we're much happier. Um, I don't know if you've ever talked to an older person about what their Christmases were like. If you, if you know someone uh, who was alive during the Great Depression or World War II, ask them what their Christmases were like. Ask them what they got for Christmas. I'll never forget hearing a story from one of my grandparents one time, and they talked about how, oh, it was the greatest Christmas one year was just such a good Christmas because everybody had enough to eat, and they even had enough money that every kid got an orange. And I thought, what in the heck? Every kid got an orange, and that was a great Christmas? I mean, if you did that this year, hey, kids, this year, everybody's going to get an orange. It's going to be an awesome Christmas. Your kids would rise up and revolt. They would try to have you arrested. They would have DSS come to the house and have you arrested for child abuse. The only way a kid today can be satisfied with an orange at Christmas is if they're getting an orange Xbox 360 or something like that. That's the only way it's going to happen because we have gotten so spoiled in our American way of life. And I'm not saying that buying presents is wrong, but what I'm saying is, wouldn't it be cool 
if we could live in a day and age, and if we could get our hearts to the point where we said, you know what, if everybody just had enough to eat this Christmas, and we had a roof on our head, and we had a little bit extra just to get someone an orange, wouldn't that be a great way to celebrate Christmas? If we could all get to that point. And I'm not saying I'm there. I'm not telling you, if I, if I get just an orange this Christmas, I'm going to be ticked off, all right? I'm just going to tell you. So I'm still working there myself, right? But wouldn't that be a great place to be? Because we've taken, like I say, we've taken this humble beginning of Jesus and we've blown it up into all this excess. And I think somehow when we do that, we miss out on what God's really, really trying to tell us through that. See, more equals better is a deception. It's just a deception that we've bought into. Now look at Matthew chapter 2. I want to move on to something else. Matthew, Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2. And this is, this is another one of those event things that at Christmas we think we, we know what happened, but a lot of times we've, we've just been fooled about it. Matthew 2, 1 and 2 says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi, that's wise men or you know, these, these important guys, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. How many of you have a nativity set in your house right now? You've already got it set up or, or whatever. How many of you grew up with a nativity set in the house and it had a barn and that kind of stuff? Now, if your nativity set is a good nativity set or the way, you know, the way we most of them want it to look like, you got Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus laying in the manger. You got shepherds there. You might have an angel floating over the top of it or a star over the top. And then you got wise men there and maybe some camels and maybe some gifts laying at the manger and all that kind of stuff. And that's, that's what we've grown up with. That's the image we've grown up with is this big old crowd of people around the manger, right? And, and so when we, when me growing up and all of us growing up, you know, when we thought about Christmas, what, what the image we had in our mind is, is you, had, you had Mary and Joseph and you had baby Jesus with a halo around his head in the manger there, and, and you had the wise men and, and the shepherds, and the little drummer boy was there off to the side, and, and uh, maybe the long-eared donkey that everybody was mean to was over there too. And, and so you had, you had all this stuff in the manger, this big old crowd of folks, around Jesus, and it was just, and, it was, and the barn was cozy again, remember? That was kind of the whole deal. Well, one of the things you need to know about the first night of Jesus' birth is there weren't as many people in the barn as you think. There weren't as many people in the barn as you think. Um, I know that ruins our image, right? Because our image is Jesus is laying in the manger and everybody was there. But here's the thing. The wise men weren't there the first night, okay? They, they weren't at the stable in Bethlehem. Now, they came to see Jesus in Bethlehem, but it wasn't at the stable. It wasn't when Jesus was just a few hours old, and they didn't bring their gifts and lay them at the foot of the manger. That ruins a lot of our images, I know, and that ruins your nativity set. And I'm not saying you need to go home and throw the wise men out, all right? But just so that we'll understand really what happened is the wise men weren't there right then. Now, the wise men did come. Look at Matthew 2, 11. This is what happened. On coming to the house, now notice it doesn't say the stable. On coming to the house, they saw the child, not the infant, with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their gifts and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. You see, 
this happened sometime after the first night of Jesus' birth. Some people believe that it was maybe as long as two years later that Jesus was as old as two years old. I don't know exactly how old he was, but I know it wasn't the first night. And, and we've got a couple clues in that verse. One of them is the first thing that I said. It says that he, they came to a house and not a stable. It's a different Greek word. It's, it's not the same thing. And then the second one is it says when they saw the child. The Greek word used in Luke that is translated infant is one that means a baby. It means somebody who has just been born. The Greek word that's used in Matthew that's translated child, it means a young child. So I don't know if he was walking yet or crawling or, or whatever, but he was no longer an infant. He was no longer considered that. So here it is. You've got the, the wise men showing up, and they're not there the night of Jesus' birth. Now, what does that mean? Is, should that mess things up? No, it, it's, it's okay, all right? It's not blasphemy, and I know it might hurt your feelings to hear this the first time. I cannot believe the wise men weren't there. I remember the first time I heard it. I was probably like 16, and I thought that it was just wrong that anybody would say that. But... But it doesn't matter as far as when they showed up because the point is you had these important men. You had these rich men. You had these guys that were leaders. And they were coming and they were bowing down at the feet of Jesus. And they were saying to him, you are greater than we are. You are almighty God and we have come to give you gifts. So, when you, so the first night Jesus was born, you had shepherds that showed up and they were the lowest of the low class people in Bethlehem. And then later in Jesus' life, you have the highest of the high-class people, people that even traveled because there was nobody that important in Bethlehem, and they showed up, and they bowed at Jesus' feet as well. And so the image that, that we're supposed to get from the Scripture here is that God is the God of the poor. He's the God of the rich. Jesus has come for everybody. But they were not there at the house, or at the stable that night. And so this big old crowd of folks was not there celebrating the first Christmas together like we, like we think. Which leads me to our next reality that, uh, that, uh, that we've kind of bought into. Or, or it's not a reality, but it's the, the, uh, um, a deception, really, we've bought into. And, uh, oh, we've already, oh, I just got scooped. It came up already. Because um, here, I wanted to, I wanted to uh, give you a, um, uh, what's the word that I'm trying to look for when, when I want to say something, but I don't want you to think it's really as bad as I'm about to say, a disclaimer. I want to tell you a disclaimer. Here's the disclaimer. I love family, okay? I love hanging out with family. I love my family more than anybody else, right? And, I want to, and there's times the only thing I want to do is just be with my wife and my girls. But here is a reality we've bought into that's not true, and that is, is that Christmas is all about family. Christmas is all about family. And you're saying, wait, whoa, 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 Cliff. Yes, it is. Christmas is all, that's what it's about, hanging out with the family and being with them and all that kind of stuff, and I love all that stuff. I love the family get-togethers, I love eating, I love everybody opening presents and paper flying through the air and trying to see what everybody got and all that kind of stuff, but it, that's not all that it's about. And what can happen is we can begin to focus so much on well, we've got to get everything ready for this family get-together, and we've got we to be sure that everybody's happy, and we've got to get the perfect gift for everybody. And I'm making brown rice because this person likes brown rice, and I've got to make white rice because this other person doesn't like brown rice, and I want everybody to be happy when they show up at the house, and all this kind of stuff. And we get so stressed out and all this stuff about family that all of a sudden we've gone through the whole Christmas season, and we've never dealt with the miracle or the reality that God came to earth in the form of a baby. We've never dealt with Jesus' birth. And here's the thing that I want you to understand. And if you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to hear this before you leave. All of us 
are going to have to deal with Jesus one-on-one without our families. Being with family is awesome at Christmas. Being with family is, maybe for some of you it's terrible at Christmas. I don't know. Maybe you don't travel at Christmas because you don't want to be with your family. I love, my family is is great and and, uh, probably a lot less dysfunctional than some people's. And uh, we do have some dysfunctional people, don't we, Sherry? And uh, Sherry and and Sherry's aunt are sitting there and they're smiling and nodding their head going, yeah, we got some serious dysfunction, don't we? But uh but the thing about it is we can get so caught up in this that we forget that we're going to have to deal with Jesus one-on-one. A few weeks ago, I told you a story about how I got a job one time because my dad was Bob Marshall. And that was the reason I got the job. The guy that I went to see, he hired me just because I was my dad's son. He knew my dad, and so he said, tell your boy to come over here, I'll give him a job, right? And I got a great summer job only because of who my dad was. And on earth, that's the way things work a lot of times. You got contacts, and you should work those contacts, and that's going to get you a job. That might get you promotion because you know the right person, you write the right letter, or whatever, and that's okay. That's the way things work here. But there's going to come a day when every single one of us have to deal with Jesus one-on-one. And it's not going to matter who your daddy was. It's not going to matter if your daddy was a preacher. It doesn't matter if you're the son or the daughter of Billy Graham. When the time comes, you're going to have to deal with Jesus one-on-one without your family. And what are you going to do then? And that's why I think it's so important now for us to spend time, not just at Christmas, but all the time, where we can separate ourselves a little bit from everybody and spend some time one-on-one dealing with Jesus. You see, you're going to have to face the reality of Jesus' birth in a stable in Bethlehem apart from your family. You're going to have to face the reality of Jesus' death on the cross for your sins apart from your family. And you're going to have to face the reality of the resurrection of Jesus from the grave after that death apart from your family. And you're going to have to deal with Jesus one-on-one. All of us are going to have to at some point. So if we get so caught up that Christmas is all about family, we'll miss out on that very, very important fact. Now, as we get ready to finish up, I don't want you to walk away from here today just saying, man, that was a nice message that's going to help me in trivial pursuit because now I know the wise men weren't at this barn. And now I know the barn was a pretty bad place to be born. That's a cool thing. Don't miss the important parts of what I'm saying today. Because, see, here's the thing about life. Life is difficult when we have to choose between two good things. If you have to choose between a good thing and a bad thing, I remember growing up, Everything was very black and white to me. This is wrong, this is right. Choose the right thing. And that was drilled into my head, and we should be drilling that in our kids' head. You know, do what's right and, and get away from the evil, from the wrong things. But then as I got older, I started being faced with these choices that, well, both of these things look good. What do I do? And there weren't that many easy decisions anymore. You know, the easy decisions would be, hey, would you rather be kicked in the face or have a one-hour body massage? Well, I think I'll take the massage, right? Or would you rather be bitten by a snake or kissed by your wife or your husband? And, you know, some of you are saying, you don't know my wife or husband. I might take the snake, but... Um, But I'd rather be kissed by my wife than bitten by a snake any day of the week. But what if you're faced with this this decision? Would you rather take this job, which looks really good, or would you take this job that also looks really good? Pays about equal. Both looks like great places to work. Well, then what do you do? How do you make that choice? You've got two good things to choose from. Or would you rather buy this house or buy this house? 
We can afford both of them. They both look great. And so life is filled with all these kinds of choices where we have to choose between good things. And that's kind of what I'm talking about here for Christmas. Buying stuff for your kids is a good thing. And I would never want you to say, we're cutting out Christmas this year, kids, because y'all are too greedy. But, you know, and I understand that it's a noble thing for, your, for you to want your kids to have a, a memorable and good Christmas. And it's a, it's a good thing to want to be with family. Family's a great thing. But don't get so caught up into those things that sometimes you miss out on the best thing. The best thing is, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with the scripture that says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God came to earth as a man. He lived on this earth as a man. He died on the cross for you as a man. And now he sits on his throne. And he asks us to come to him humbly the way he came to the world and to bow down and worship him the way shepherds and wise men bowed down and worshiped him. Let's pray. Father God, this time of year is such a fun time and a busy time, and there are many things that can fill our calendars. And while many of those are good, they can also prove to be a distraction. And so, Lord, I pray that we would take time right now at this moment and take time this week to be amazed and stand in wonder of what you have done for us. Lord, help us all, me first and foremost, help all of us to humbly come before you and to bow down and to place our entire lives before you. Because, Lord, without you, we are nothing. And if we're not connected to you, there's nothing we can do. And if we are connected to you, there's nothing that we can't accomplish. Thank you for coming to earth as a baby. Thank you for dying on the cross. Help us to celebrate your birth in a way that would bring you honor. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.